Uh, have you ever wondered uh, if the burger patty you bought at the stores were, in fact, the real deal or anything else uh, you buy at the store? How can we trust that whatever we buy at the store is, in fact, legitimate? There's always rumors that go around that certain restaurants are serving things like donkey meat. Uh, horse meat's quite popular from time to time as well. Joining me on the line now is a postdoctoral researcher on food fraud at the Wachen University and Research. Um, a local lady, Dr. Sarah W. Erasmus. Uh, doctor, welcome to Cape Talk Weekend Early Breakfast. How are you doing? Oh, hello. Um, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And um, I'm doing I'm doing good. Are you, you are actually from South Africa. The weather's picking up on this side, so I'm happy. You are yes, actually from South Africa. Where, where in South Africa are you from? I'm from Villiersdorp. Villiersdorp. <laughs> Do you know? Sorry, I'm gonna. Oh my word! Let me just not laugh so much. Um, they next to the closest to your brother's cliff dam. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Are you just as happy because this is the first time you've heard the South African accent in a long time, or? <laughs> oh, me? Why I'm laughing so much? You're just happy to hear a South African accent. Um, oh, sorry. You said telling me I have a South African accent. Yes, yes, but I'm saying, are you so happy just to hear another South African accent and not be South African? Oh, it's amazing because everyone here is asking me, oh, am I British? And I'm like, oh. because I call the British pommies or something. And I'm like, no, I'm not British. Far from it. But then, then I'm thinking, then I'm telling them, you know what? If you're going to go to Britain, you're going to, you're going to actually discover that I'm a, I'm not a real British person. You are a South because, African as it comes. Uh, Yes, yes, uh, it's nice. We are, we are, yeah, we have a unique accent, so it's amazing. It's very nice to hear South Africans on the other line. Okay, let's get let's get into the conversation and the reason that you're at uh, the Wagner University and Research Center, um, and what okay. we're talking about this uh, this morning is uh, food fraud, which a lot of people I'm yeah. sure are unaware of, and maybe they've seen it in certain instances. Um, but let's start unpacking it. What is food fraud? Okay, so. Um the definition, or there's, they're still debating on the official definition, but I will give you the GFSI, so definition, and that's the um, Global Food Safety Initiative definition. And it's a collective term that encompassing the deliberate and intentional substitution, addition, tampering, or misrepresentation of food, food ingredients, or food packaging, labeling, product information, or false or misleading statements made out about a product. For economic gain, so mm. it's basically misrepresenting a product for what it is for financial economic gain. So I, I think I would, I mean, the next question was going to be like, what is the reason for food fraud? But I guess that <laughs> that has to be for economic gain. Is, yes, is, uh, that that is the main reason. So the the it's not the intention is not to inflict harm, but it would be then for the purpose or the perpet- the perpetrator. Or the frauds that we would call them would be to, for them to have a financial benefit from it. So if I can give an example, like if you, um, replaced, replace the ingredient of a product, so you replace it with a cheaper one, mm. you can, you, you will have more profit in the end. So that's, that's the, the, the driver behind food fraud. But one of the problems, of course, is that for economic gain, and misrepresentation of products could mm-hmm. uh, could lead to harmful effects. Yes, that's the thing. So then it starts to become a food defense problem. Mm. Um, that's why um, we also say that it's not just like food fraud is not something on its own. 
Um, it also links to your food defense. So then when from being a, um, the driver being gain mm. or the motivation being gain, the motivation is then actually being harm yeah. when it becomes a food defense problem. And this also links to things like your food quality, mm-hmm. because when you add something that's that that's maybe not of a good quality ingredient, then you have you might have resolved a food quality issue or it becomes a food safety issue when you add something that's not safe to a product i think the 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 biggest one what uh, most people are probably uh, aware of is the big nestle scandal that i think started in 1977 mm-hmm. um with the nestle's um uh, formula the the child's formula for as a replacement <laughs> for for breast milk um that they sent through to africa and because of the labeling of the product and because all the instructions were uh, mostly in English, the mm-hmm. African the African market that was using it didn't understand exactly the directions for use. The They were required to use um, water as the dilutant or as the additive to the powdered milk in order for use, but the water purity or the or the, the the level of healthy water, amount of healthy water in Africa at the time was at a minimum or in the areas. So a lot of kids became sick mm. because of the misrepresentation and the, 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 the lazy and cheap packaging that was that was um, that was used. But what yes. we, what 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 situations or what examples exist today where there's still food fraud taking place? Well if I can also add to that example that you just mentioned about the Nestle you also know of the infant formula issue with in China, the Millimin scandal, mm-hmm. where um, to increase the protein content because the protein um, content is also it also it's the value is also driven by the fact that if you have a higher protein content, you can get more money for your product. So they added melamine because the test at that time it measures nitrogen, but it does not measure the type of proteins that's actually present. So they could get away, and then a lot of uh, um, there was a lot of children that got sick, and a few died. And um, from that scandal, for instance, the industry was hurt in China. Mm. So at this stage, um, in China, the products from Europe, from Europe, for instance, it's it's marketed higher because they they the consumers feel that those products are safer. So now they are not actually buying the Chinese produce products anymore, but buying the ones imported from Europe. But now it actually leads to another problem where we see that um, established brands in the Chinese markets yeah. are actually being counterfeited. And that's a different form of food fraud where you actually have not something being replaced in the product, but the product itself is being replaced. So so it's well, it's basically the same. It's the brand, the packaging of the brand, yeah. but then you don't really know what's inside. So it can be anything. So that is actually being also a, a great concern at the stage and also to detect those type of products. Mm. But to give you some other typical examples that I, I think a lot of people hear it often is like, for instance, with olive oil, where you have, um, it's mostly mislabeling, where it's not really extra virgin olive oil that's in the bottle. Um, it can be uh, replaced with um, a lower quality oil mm. or it can actually be um, lower quality oil or some other vegetable oil, something that's cheaper. And it's something that's really difficult to detect um, because you can't taste all the products. Yeah. And if you're not, like as a consumer, you won't be able to 
taste differences necessarily um, because you might not be trained enough. Yeah. And also, even if you do taste it, then what are you going to do about it? There's not much that really empowers you to take action except making making it known or reporting some fraudulent activity or, or concerns that you might have. The, the other, other two things that you mentioned, I remember watching um, a documentary on Netflix called, uh, called Dirty Money, which handled, which handled all different kinds of fraud, uh, from the car mm-hmm. manufacturing industry through to food. The one that they spoke about was um, the honey industry. And, oh, yes. <laughs> and how honey, honey gets exported across the world and the problem with the purity of honey, um, that was being sent also, I think, from certain Asian countries. So there were, mm. there were countries that were like, like again, you said that were banned from exporting products because it did not, uh, did not, um, set the, the, the required standards, um, or the global mm. standards. So instead of, those countries shutting down production. What they did was they shipped they shipped via other routes, and yes. created the, a new origin for the product, mm-hmm. which is something I think you just um, used when it came, when you were talking about the, the the breast milk. Yes, that's that's true because the thing is um, with the honey case in that in that instance, we got a factor that we call a, a food fraud factor um, that drives that is uh, price differences due to regulatory differences. Mm. So that's when. Um, you, for instance, a country is banned from importing it, for instance, say to Europe, but then it finds the other route via another country and basically it's then relabeled. So it's relabeled, um, to an, that uh, the next country's origin yeah. that is actually allowed to import that product. So then you actually have that product coming into the chain while it's being prohibited. But the other implication that you then have is that the, now you have these products on the market. While the local competitors or the local producers, they need to compete with this product. So mm. you actually then, then you start to have other issues that, that, um, surface because now for local producers, if they have to compete with fraudulent product or products that's, that's, um, um, bought in that's cheaper, they would find ways now to survive economically. So yeah. they might, um, fall victim to those same practices where they have to now find other ways of of actually maybe um, lengthening or um, reducing the cost of their own product. So they f- will find ways to, in, in, t- in terms of honey, they can find a way of actually mixing the honey. Yeah. So not then re- mislabeling it again, and not, that is not from a pure origin, for instance. So with honey, if you if you have it, if you label it as Say raw honey from a specific country, then you need to to say where where it comes from. But when you start mixing, you also need to state that there's honey added from say a different origin or which non-European, for instance, or or it's from from outside. You it needs to be stated. They don't do that. Um, for our <laughs> listeners that have just tuned in, this is Cape Talk Weekend Early Breakfast with myself, Mark Johnson. I'm in conversation with uh, Dr. Sarah Erasmus. Who's a PhD, a postdoctoral research on food fraud. Uh, she's busy working out of the Wachen University and Research Center in Holland at the moment. Uh, and if you've just tuned in, we are talking about food fraud, what it is, 
Uh, is there a way that we can combat it? Um, how do we make sure that the food, the food that we are buying and consuming is, is what it is, what it says, mm-hmm. is it says it is on the packaging and is ethical. If you have any questions you'd like to add to the conversation, you're more than welcome to do so on 021-446-0567. And of course on WhatsApp, those, uh, WhatsApp numbers, uh, or number for voice notes and texts is 072-567-1567. At the university that you that you are now, at the, the research institute, what exactly are you doing in terms of research and working? What is your day-to-day uh, requirements um, into food fraud consist of? Well, we have a very broad approach, so we don't don't just focus from it on a from an analytical point of view. Um, the my head professor, Professor Saskia van Roof, she's actually she's the expert in the field, and and her expertise is actually food authenticity and integrity mm. and um so david developed this safe tool that um looks that that a company or producer or business can use to actually assess their vulnerability to food fraud um so we do a lot of work on that where you actually look at um your managerial controls but also technical controls um that you can have in place to actually prevent yourself as a company or as a business from becoming a victim of food fraud. So um, our, our research is very broad in the sense of we have managerial approaches, but then we also have this analytical side to it where you look at um, testing methodology to actually help detect and prevent um, in- incidences of food fraud. Us as end consumers, as end users, um, you know, maybe not, we can get to, we can get to like the, the management side when we're talking about restaurants and, and, uh, people receiving from bulk suppliers. But us as end users mm. going to our local supermarkets, how do we become more aware of what we're using or what we're buying or what is, what is inside our food? Mm, yeah, that's, that's true because at the end of the day, the consumer, they, I mean, you're, you're vulnerable because you are expecting what you're buying is, is the true product. Mm. And, um, we are not, supposed to be enforcers that's where the government or regulators need to step up and they should actually be checking products and making sure that these products conform to the regulations but there are certain ways that consumers can protect themselves from food fraud so if for instance you buy from um, reputable brands and sources you know where the product in that way where it's coming from or if you buy from the producer itself and you have that relationship that's a way of you ensuring that, you know, you're getting what you want. But in the supermarket, it's, it's quite different because you don't know the supply chain, for instance. You don't know how transparent that supply chain is. And, um, that's, so it's, it's very difficult. I think if, um, if you are, if you know certain brands, um, and stick to them, mm. And maybe you buy a different brand at some point and you can, ta- you can, for instance, taste or see differences. Then you get an indication visually that there might be something wrong with the product. But, um, there are now technologies also developing. So we've seen also different, um, approaches, um, that we think in the future might make the, the consumer not a, um, a victim. Sorry, I hope. I just think you that. <laughs> Sorry. This is a serious you know, matter we're talking it. about, and you just what full of chuckles, that? young lady. Was it my phone? No, no, it is. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, um, I'm just gonna pick up. Is it no, a yeah. pie? No, please carry on. Carry on. Um. 
Okay. So um, we see approaches where the consumer is is um, not um, it's is, they're not being the victim anymore, but mm. becoming the victor. Where we have devices that's being developed where you can actually scan a product and get a sort of a chemical fingerprint from that scan, and that can be compared to a database to give you an oh. indication if that's the true product or not. And also some other packaging, um, there's now being developments also of packaging where you can also, if your smartphone, scan a code and then that can be traced back or that can be, it's, it's sort of linked to a database where, where the, the producer or the, or the, the manufacturer can then confirm its origin or, or for instance, it's, it's the, sort of the farm to fork approach where yeah. the transparency, how it's actually gotten to the shelf. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of developments from that side, but all of these are also limited in terms of this. You would hear a lot from a blockchain approaches now for food fraud as well, where you have also this sort of scanning technology with a barcode being scanned at every stage. But the pitfalls, unfortunately, for those type of technologies are that that who puts that information in at that certain point of scanning is also that's the crucial point. So if you lose that link, then you lose that link from from in your whole chain, basically exactly. from the farm to the fork. For our listeners that have just tuned in, uh, I'm talking to Dr. Uh, Erasmus, who was a PhD student on uh, postdoctoral, doing a postdoctoral research on food fraud. Food fraud. Uh, if you just if you missed the beginning of the conversation, it occurs when food or drink is sold in a way that deliberately misleads or deceives consumers uh, for or customers for financial gain. So when the packaging doesn't give you the complete information, when the packaging says um, chicken fillets, but it's actually something else, or it says beef patties mm. uh, only contains beef, but there are other things in it. Uh, it's it's. It's a concern, and because of the focus on on, on economic gain, it is a way that manufacturers um, create bigger profit margins, push down production costs, create bigger bigger profit margins, but at the expense of the of the end user, of the clients, of of mm. most of the time of us, um, not just of our bank accounts or our wallets, but also uh, very often of our health. I remember working in a restaurant a few years ago, and the supplier was delivering organic food to us, organic meat to us. Um, there was nothing wrong with the meat itself, but what he was telling us, like the, in, in terms of the curing process of the meat and like the water contents of the meat, what he was just, uh, then this is, this is by far not the most illegal thing, but he was telling us that the meat had been cured for say X amount of weeks, but it was actually only cured for a shorter period, which meant that the water content was higher. So he could sell a heavier weight of meat at a, at a mm. price that would benefit him more. I mean, that's not the worst thing that can, that can happen, but that is, uh, like when you're talking about supplying to, to, uh, local small businesses, it's how things probably start. And from there, who knows how, where things can go. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's one example. Um, and it's, it's typically what happens is that it's supplied and it's sort of, there's, there's just some, they, they sort of, they tell themselves a small lie that mm. no, it would not cause any harm to the consumer. But that's sort of the process that any criminal actually takes. They they have a way of th- rationalizing it for themselves. Um, to and then it then the fraud actually occurs and it becomes such a sort of it's it becomes habit that it's it you know it does not cause harm. But in in the end, it's it's not fair towards towards the person buying that product because they're actually being cheated. Mm. 
You just, um, just as a as a last as a last question. Unfortunately, we have to we have to wrap up. Where do you see? I mean, obviously, you started the research process. You're working in a team. What do you foresee the outcome being, or the effect of the research that you're doing at the moment? Well, the thing is, with with food fraud, it's also been it's it's been present since the middle. Well, since um, well, the start of. Of humankind, you know, it's yeah. it's not something that's actually new. People think that, oh, wow, just after the horse meat scandal, and you, you probably remember the whole donkey meat scandal, um, then it became sort of a hot topic. But it's always been present, and it's, it's as if the industry was sort of for reason not making it an issue. Mm. Because if you can get away with having a higher profit, then, you know, why should you say something about it? Why should you open a can of worms? But now, That's, if it is a can of worms, it might be a can of beans. <laughs> <laughs> it might be something completely different. Yes. But, but so, um, yeah, so now with companies having this ethical business culture where they're saying that they're actually supporting locally and, you know, they want to have a transparent supply chain, then they need to address these issues. And with food fraud, you know, you need to then have active approaches to actually prevent it from happening. And it's not something that's just going to disappear. It's always going to be there. It's like crime. It's always going to be there. There's also, always someone going to drive it. And unfortunately, it's not the product that's committing the fraud. It's a person. Yeah. And so it's, we need to, it's like what we're, the approach we're taking is we want to implement systems where you can actually address these issues. Like we have for food safety, you have um, standards in place in, in industry to prevent food safety issues like, for instance, then to prevent outbreaks like the Listeria case we had in South Africa yeah. as well. So the same is with food fraud. You want to implement those type of systems to prevent any big food fraud scandals for the future. Exactly. Doctor, thank you so much for taking time out to chat to us. That was pretty cool. Okay, thank you. It was, and, a, it uh, was a great talking to you and... um I'm, I'm happy to put the conversation forth if anyone is interested. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure as, uh, in a, in a month or so, in a couple of months when you, when you've gone through some more research, we can chat again and you can update us, um, on what your further findings are. Okay. That would be great. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Have a, have a great weekend further. All the best for the studies. And I'm so glad the weather's getting better over there for you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. And I feel sorry for you because it's getting cold on that side. Oh, please. I'm still, I'm still in, I'm still in Cape Town, South Africa. I'm, I'm, I'm still in Cape Town. Oh, lovely. <laughs> the sun is shining and all is good and yeah. you have wine and it's just amazing. All of this here to take care. Oh, thank you very much, Mark. Have a great day and week.